Praise the Lord. Would well, you bring a Bible today? Yes. Cool, let's use them. Let's open them up to the book of Matthew. If you've been with us the past few weeks, we've been talking about uh, the gospel of the kingdom, of really letting our life be soaked up by the kingdom of God, letting our life be changed by the kingdom of God, letting it be affected, letting that be the goal of life. In Matthew chapter 6, we read last week. So if you, you were there, you'll remember. If not, you'll catch up quick, I promise. Matthew chapter 6 last week. We're not reading it today, but you can follow along if you'd like. You remember that Jesus said that the, the people in the world are seeking something. They're chasing something. They're after something. He said they eagerly crave, they eagerly desire all of those things. What are they looking for? What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? All that stuff. How are we going to take care of ourselves? It says those guys in the world, they crave it. We've talked about this, how, how it says in Colossians, we've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his son. Thank God for that. But we've also talked about how he says uh, several times when Jesus is talking about his kingdom, when he's talking about his new life that he's offering us, he says more than once, he says, that's what the Gentiles do. And he's not just talking about non-Jewish people. At the time, it was non-Jewish people. But in this new time, you look in the New Testament, and when the Apostle Paul, for instance, is writing, sometimes he uses Gentile to mean those that are not Jewish, but a lot of times he uses it to mean someone without God, someone that doesn't have a covenant with God, someone that doesn't know God. And Jesus, he talks about those people that don't have that covenant with God, that don't know God, and he says, for instance, when they're trying to get to the top of the ladder and they're trying to be important, he says, don't you know that's what the Gentiles do? As soon as the Gentiles get a little bit of power, they use it to dominate, to control, to get their way, to get to the top. He, so, he says, it's not that way with you. Then he says in Matthew chapter 6, the Gentiles, they spend their life chasing something. They spend their life trying to take care of themselves. They spend their life trying to get it all. He says, but you... Not you, you're different. He says, but you, your father knows that you need those things. What an awesome thing. You know, Jesus didn't say, hey, you know, the Gentiles worry about what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear. I want a bunch of starving nudists in my kingdom. And I don't really care what you eat or wear. That's not what he says. He says the father cares. And he really says, because earlier he's talked about how the father takes care of the flowers, and the flowers don't have to worry about what they're going to wear. He says the father takes care of the birds. Birds don't have to, to, you know, plant a bunch of fields. And he says, how much more does the father care about you? So what he says is, not that these things, that you just can't have them because they're not for you, but rather, don't spend your life chasing them. Don't spend your life thinking about them. Don't spend all your prayer time praying about it, although you should bring everything to the Lord. Everything's important. If you have a need, bring it to God. But don't let that be all your time with God. Instead, he says, seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of that stuff that the world is chasing, it said it'll be added unto you. But you seek the kingdom. You seek his righteousness. Have you ever noticed that the most miserable people on the planet are the ones that have achieved their goals? That sounds really weird. And you might have just tilted as soon as I finished it. You were ready to say amen, and then I said that, and you're like, no, that doesn't sound right. The ones that have gotten where they thought they were aiming for all their life. You ever see these young celebrities that are just downright miserable? You've seen people that have spent all their life chasing something, and when they get there, they're miserable. You see all these, you know, the, the midlife crisis. Somebody who finally gets all the things they thought would fix their life. They got the job, they got the family, they got the car, and then, and then they're really figuring out that didn't fix me like I thought it was going to fix me. Last week we talked, Jesus gave two parables. One about a man who sold everything to buy this field because he knew there was a treasure in the field. And another man who sold everything he had to buy a pearl because he knew it's great value. Both of these guys came out ahead. But you know the world is also selling everything they have for a treasure. The only problem is, it's like that treasure you get at Red Lobster when they bring it out. Anybody been to Red Lobster? I don't know if they still do that anymore. I haven't been, you know, 12 for a long time. I think at 12, you're still too old for that, aren't you? But it's been a long time since I was a kid at Red Lobster, but I remember, and it's lost a little bit of its appeal. No offense, Red Lobster, but, but to be honest, 
It's not what it used to be in my eyes, probably because I grew up. But when you used to go to Red Lobster, there were two things. You know, as a kid, I hated seafood. Lots of kids do. That is why Red Lobster bribes children. (laughs) Their parents want some seafood. Man, my dad loved it. My dad wanted seafood. And you know, you live in Lloydminster, you're not getting a ton of fresh seafood all the time. You know, we live in the middle of the prairies. We don't, our city's not even really on a river or anything. I mean, you can't, and, and the closest river, no one really eats the fish from that thing. So, you know, we love that seafood. Dad did at least. And I remember we'd go to Red Lobster and there were two things that kept me coming back without complaining. Well, maybe three things. Without complaining was the fear of my parents. But, but the other two <laughs> were those Cheddar Bay biscuits. I don't know if there's such a place as Cheddar Bay. But if there is, they make great biscuits. Those cheddar biscuits that they bring you at the beginning. And, and that was back in the day where people brought you bread even before you ordered. You know, it was, those were the golden years of, of chain restaurants. And they'd get these cheddar biscuits that were amazing. And you'd fill up on them so you didn't have to eat any of that seafood. And you'd just be eating, eating, eating. And then at the end, they'd bring this treasure box out. And it was like a pirate treasure chest. And it would be overflowing with this just plastic junk that would break within a day and a half of using it. But it looked amazing. And you got so excited because you felt like you were coming out ahead in this thing. And you got to pick from the treasure chest. They didn't just pick something for you. You got to pick. And I imagine, as cool as that treasure chest looks, the older you get, the less valuable all that stuff seems. It's just it's fodder for the vacuum cleaner at some point. All these little plastic pieces. And... and and you grow up and you realize, you know, to a kid, you're looking at it and, and you've been programmed by cartoons to believe that a treasure chest is valuable. But when you get to Red Lobster and you get the stuff in the treasure chest, you realize you walked away with like 50 cents worth of stuff. <laughs> and I wonder if the world, you know, it's, it's like we're chasing a chest, chasing this treasure. See, Jesus talked about the treasure that we're after, and it really is worth a lot more than everybody knows. But he talks about the world. They're chasing something too. And when they find it, they're more miserable than when they started. Because you find out it's not what you thought it was. You know, when we first start discovering some of the truths of God's word and knowing that Jesus is not just a historical figure, he is alive, he's part of our lives. He's, he's the one that, that changes everything, that, that when we're reconciled to God, there is nothing that we need that's not found in him. And yet, um, I think for, for some of us, sometimes the way we explain it is, uh, here are the world's goals, and the world is trying to get to those goals by their ways, and that way doesn't work. And somehow we think, well, when we get saved, when we, we come to know Jesus, we can, we're still after the same goals. We just got a better way to get there. But that's not exactly true. In fact, it's not even really close to true. The goal posts have really moved. The goals are way different. When you get born again, the things that used to be ex- important to you are just not as, as important anymore. You don't say, well, we got the same goals, but now we got a better route to get there. I've got different goals. I've got a different destination. The things that are important to me now are not the things that are important to, to those folks in, in the world that are chasing, chasing, chasing and never finding. When you get born again, you receive Jesus, you find out what really matters. And as Jesus walked the earth, he taught, he demonstrated the kingdom of God. Not just, not just spoke it, but demonstrated it. And you saw what was important to God. Because as we saw Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus said it, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. What's great about Jesus is we didn't just see the Father in him. We also saw what humanity was meant to look like. The scripture calls him both the image of the invisible God and the second Adam. In Christ, we saw God and man come together. In Christ, we saw him rewrite the the owner's manual for humanity. In fact, maybe not rewrite it, but show us the original. You ever try to use an iron as a hammer or something like that? You've been without a tool in your house? Now, this is, <laughs> some of you are just already looking at me with disgust. I didn't say I did it. <laughs> but if you didn't have a tool at some point and you're using something that's just really not designed for it, but you're going to make it work, 
and you realize this tool is a great tool when you use it for what it's designed for, but when you're trying to use it for something else, it's lousy. And we've said this before, but that's like, that's what it is with us. Through Jesus, through the gospel, we've discovered what we were created for. The Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's the way it was before sin came into the world. It says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So if I take sin out of the equation, we have now, we no longer fall short of his glory. Now we are reconciled to God and brought back to the way we were created to be. We were never created to be separate from him. We were never created to have an on and off relationship with God. You were created to to say, just as the Apostle Paul wrote, in him we live, in him we move, in him we breathe, in him we have our existence. That's what we were designed for. Thank God Jesus showed us how to get back there. Jesus showed us how to discover that again. Something interesting happened at prayer on Monday night. As we were praying, the Lord just brought something out that we all kind of had a feeling we knew, but it became more clear as we talked about it. Some of us have been dealing with way too many little fires that you're trying to put out all the time. You feel you have no time for anything. You feel like life is a mess. It's chaotic. And most of it, just to be honest with you, most of it's because you're so wrapped up in your own world. Most of it is we are so consumed in our own stuff that those little things have become big things that we've tried to control the ship that we weren't meant to steer. I'm convinced that when we let ourselves be consumed in the things of God, that as he said in Matthew 6, he said, don't worry about this stuff. He says, if you stop worrying about it and you start thinking about the kingdom, I'll take care of this stuff. In another place in the New Testament, it says, don't take your own revenge, but leave room for God to move in it. Leave room for the, for the vengeance of God. In other words, stop trying to fix your problems. Stop trying to get everything back. If you'll just let God work in that situation, you consume yourself with his stuff, he'll take care of your stuff. I want to read something to you from Matthew 16. Some of you know the background of this story is near the end of Jesus' life. I mean, there's still some time left. It's not right at the end. But we're in, we're in the latter bits of his life. And uh, there's that great moment where Jesus asked the disciples, who am I? First he says, who do people say I am? And they all have different answers. Some people say you're... you're you know, you're Elijah. Some people say, you know, there's this weird relationship to you, you and John the Baptist. Some people say this. Some people say this. Some people say you're a prophet. And Simon Peter, when Jesus asked, who do you say I am? He has this answer that he didn't come up with on his own. He said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And both of those statements, now that's, those aren't two, of, uh, two ways to say the same thing. Those are two things that, that were both radical to say about Jesus. The Christ, meaning the Messiah. You're the Messiah that we've been waiting for. The second, you're the son of the living God. Now we understand that Jesus, of course, was both of those things. But to the Jewish people, to call him the Messiah was a stretch enough. And then to call him the son of God. People weren't saying this. You, know, you notice when he says, what do people say about me? Nobody said, people say you're the Messiah. Nobody said, people say you're the, you're the, son, of the son of God. Nobody said that. It wasn't until he asked, what do you say, that Peter gets this revelation from God. And Jesus says, Simon Bar-Jonah, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. In other words, no human taught this to you. You didn't get this by thinking about it a lot. He said, God revealed this to you. My father revealed this to you. This was a divine revelation. And Peter, in a moment of great uh, pride, in a moment of of finally I got uh, the right question because Jesus is so tricky when he asks these things. I mean, he tells parables and we don't know what they mean. And he says these weird things. We're supposed to decipher them. And finally I got one right. 
And just as he's at the top of his game, Jesus says, so listen, guys, I've, I've got to die. And Peter answers and he goes, well, let's go ahead and read it. Peter took him aside. You notice how, how built up he's gotten at this point? He took Jesus aside like a little kid. You know, like, oh, come on, man. We're, we've been around a lot. Let me, let me just correct you a little bit. It says, and began to rebuke him. Rebuke, capital H, him. That's really dumb. You don't rebuke capital H's. That's not, it's not in the game plan. It will never happen. There's never a moment in your life. Can I just tell you right now? You can write it down. You can settle it. You will never have to rebuke Jesus. You never have to rebuke God. If you find yourself in the position where you feel you need to do that, you need to really go home and repent and let God fix what's going on in your brain because that's a dumb idea. Well, Peter's all jazzed up because, oh, I guess the Father's giving me revelation. Let me take you aside. We all need rebuking every now and then. He begins to rebuke Jesus. I love that. He began to rebuke, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Because Peter's finally stepping up and saying, I got more faith than you in this area. Jesus, you've let yourself be whittled down by the world. And I understand we all get to that point. But let me tell you, I, I, I can believe you don't have to go through that. And Jesus says, he turned and said to Peter, who's at a moment of great high here, and he turns to Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Anybody in the church feel cool if I just call you Satan every now and then? In front of everybody. No, we read from the New American Standard. It's, it's not the perfect translation. There's no perfect translation. We like it here. One thing about the New, New American Standard, it doesn't throw, away, throw around exclamation marks lightly. You don't see them all over the place. When you see an exclamation mark in this translation, you know that there might have been some intensity behind it. And you can imagine that Jesus turns and says, get behind me, Satan. And it's not just a quiet, I'm going to whisper in your ear, hey, Satan, get behind me. In front of all his friends, in front of all his buddies that heard him complimented, all of a sudden Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man." That's an interesting thought, isn't it? So what that says to me is that to set my mind on man's interests is satanic, is demonic. You know, James says the same thing. He says there's a wisdom from above and there's a, and the earthly wisdom. He doesn't say earthly wisdom's good, godly wisdom's better. He says the wisdom of this earth is natural and it's demonic. When's the last time you thought natural meant demonic? It doesn't always. But in this sense, the wisdom, this manly, earthly wisdom that we just think we're, we're finally figuring out, we're coming up with something smart. He says, that's natural, it's demonic. Here, he says, you are setting your interest. You're not setting your mind on God's interest. You're setting your mind on man's interests. And he says, get behind me, Satan. That's a stumbling block. It's, it's trying to trip me up. It's a stumbling block to us. It's a huge stumbling block to us to begin to set our mind on man's interest rather than God's interest. And I know the scripture says, he died for us that we who live might no longer live for ourselves. And that sounds like a martyr scripture. It sounds like, oh man, I gotta sacrifice myself. But I'm telling you, that's good news because you don't have to look out for yourself anymore. You've got a God that cares for you. That, that, you've got a Father that loves you. You don't have to take care of yourself anymore. You can set your mind. You can live for Him, His kingdom, and trust me, it's a better way. But here He says, you're a stumbling block to me. You're not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. How often is it a stumbling block to us 
when we began to pursue our own interests rather than God's. Can I tell you, when you were called into this kingdom, the best thing for you is to align your interests with God's interests. Jesus said, I mean, when they're trying to sneak him some food, you remember when he was at Samaria and he's, he's, he's just witnessed to this lady. He's shared the gospel with a lady that's at the well and he's, he's told her about her life. I mean, I say gospel, but it wasn't all good news to her. He kind of told her, he, he read her, her mail, even her junk mail, you know, and he said, um, you know, I know that you've had this many husbands and the guy you're living with is not even your husband. And she knows that he's more than just an ordinary man at that point. He go, she goes back to her city, and she says, could this be the Messiah? He told me everything about my life. This could be the one. The whole city wakes up and says, we're going to go see this guy. And as Jesus is waiting for the city to come to him, his disciples go, are you hungry, man? Because all of a sudden, they've learned that they're in the ministry of helps, right? They, they've understand that we are, we're supposed to take care of this guy. I mean, he gets so, he gets off in his world. He won't eat for days. I mean, you remember that he went for 40 days without eating. It says after 40 days, he became hungry. This guy forgets to eat. We need to take care of him. They say, Jesus, have you had anything to eat? He says, he says I've got food you don't know about. And they look around and go, who snuck him food? Where did he have secret food? Where's he hiding it? You know, I mean, come on, man. We've been with you this whole time. You've been stashing food. You know, I've got food you don't know about. You've got a secret stash you haven't been telling us about. And he says, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's what satisfies me. That's what gives me pleasure. That's what gives me life. That's what excites me is to do the will of the one who sent me to finish the work I was sent to do. That's what I look forward to. That's what's exciting to me. When you get so caught up in the things of God, you know that old song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonder's face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim. That's not just a song. It's very true. When you get so aware of who Jesus is, when you get caught up in who he is, there are things that seem unimportant. Now you think, well, I, don't, I can't afford to be that flake. Can't afford to be that flake that just wanders around a cloud nine and, and just doesn't, doesn't concern himself and just leaves things undone. This is not telling you to be irresponsible. You know, the New Testament's full of examples. It says, hey, this guy, if he doesn't work, he doesn't eat. But at the same time, you don't wrap your life and your family and your interests and your little world. You allow yourself to get your life wrapped up in who he is and all that he is and the kingdom you've been called into. And thank God when you seek the kingdom, he takes care of that other stuff. But he goes on and he says after this wonderful moment of rebuke, it says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in glory of His Father with the angels, and He will then repay every man according to His deeds. But stop there for a minute. I know that when He talks about losing your life, He's talking about more than one thing. I know that literally many of these guys will give their physical lives. Many of, in fact, pretty much everybody that's listening to Jesus at this point, with the exception of John, is going to die a violent death. I understand that. But there's a lot more to it than that, too. He's not just talking about the moment you die. I suppose we could all say it's talking about, he's also probably referring to when we died, when we got born again, our old self died and we became new and we were born again. I imagine that's true as well. Could it also be true that when he says you must take up your cross and deny yourself and follow me, that sometimes when we read this, we get so caught up on the deny yourself that we, we, we miss the whole point of it all. I think sometimes in periods of history, the church has seen that word deny ourselves and we just assumed that that was the point. But that's not the point. It's a part of the equation. 
but it's not the goal. The goal in this verse is not to deny yourself. That's part of the process of following him. The goal is coming after him. The goal is following him. Read the verse again. Right before he says, take up your cross and and deny yourself. And right after, he's talking about, you see the word me. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. These are guys that have already done that to a degree. You understand that, right? Those of them that were fishermen, you remember it says, when the moment they caught the biggest catch they'd ever caught in their life, because Jesus told them where to fish, and they caught all this fish so much that they had to get multiple boats to bring it in, and they get the biggest catch of their life. They finally feel like we're, we're finally getting it. We finally made it. We can invest in some more boats. At that moment, Jesus says, follow me. And it says they left their boats and everything, and they followed him. Matthew's a tax collector. Leaves his whole, leaves his whole business, just goes. You see all these guys leave things and follow. So they've already done this to a degree. But you remember, the point wasn't God wants you to be deprived of your boats. The point wasn't God wants you to have to do without that, without that, uh, that business that you have. That wasn't the point. That was part of the process of following him. The point wasn't self-denial. The self-denial had to happen in order to follow him. In other words, deny yourself and And let me be the thing you're satisfied with. Deny yourself and make your life about me rather than about you, which is what it was about. Throughout history, sometimes we see this self-denial and we get so caught up in it, what we end up doing is make that an idol. And the Apostle Paul talks about that. And I'm going to read you something from Colossians where he talks about that. Uh, He says this in Colossians chapter 2. Because it kind of creeps back into the church. And he says this in verse 18 of chapter 2. He says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement. Delighting in that, oh, look look how badly I treat myself. Look how humble I am. Getting so caught up in the fact, look at me punish myself as if that's the point. The point is following Jesus. And in order to follow Jesus, you got to lay yourself down and follow him. But the point isn't seeing how miserable you can be for Jesus' sake. That's not the goal. There are times where you have to give things up. There are times where you have to crucify that old self. But, and it has been crucified, thank God, once and for all. But there's times where you have to reckon it crucified. You have to consider it dead because it tries to creep back up. But he says, you let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he'd seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. If you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to degrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use. So they had a group of people that made the whole point, you're not allowed to handle this, you're not allowed to have to taste this, You're not allowed to touch this. And that was like the point. That was the big thing. That was the big church doctrine. Not who are we living for, but what aren't we doing? You know how easy it is to become like that, isn't it? Where all of a sudden, you used to be all about following Jesus. You used to be wrapped up in him. And if you let it yourself, religion creeps in. And all you're about is what we don't do. We don't do that. We don't do that. We don't do that. We're holier than that. Well, thank God there are things that we don't do because... We've been born again. There are things we lay aside. There are things we say, I'm done with that. That's my old life. But at the same time, the point is not how, let's just have a competition to see how much we can torture ourselves. The point is to go after him. And if something's weighing me down, I don't want it anymore. I want to run the race looking at him the entire time. So the Bible says, it says, fixing your eyes on him the author and the perfecter, the finisher of your faith. And so your life is not just about, look at all the things I'm doing for Jesus. Look at all I'm losing for Jesus. The point is going after him. 
Abraham is a great example. It's such a paradox at times because you look at his life and the Lord had blessed him more than anyone else around. He opened up wells for him. He blessed him with livestock and all these things. And yet Abraham could have chased the dream everyone else chased, which is to get your own little city, to get a nice city, and you're the rich guy in the city. And the Bible says in Hebrews 11, it says he chose rather to live in tents. He could have afforded the city life. God had blessed him more than anyone else. He could have afforded to stay in the nice loft. But it says he chose rather to live in tents than dwell in those cities because it said he was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God, a city that wasn't of this world, an intangible city. So you see there, there's a guy who did, there were certain things he said, I don't need that. The kings of Sodom and Gomorrah tried to give him the loot from the battle that he'd helped them win. He didn't help them win because they were such good guys. He helped them win because his nephew was with them. And the Lord helped him win this thing. And they say, here, take, our, take, take the loot. I mean, you've, you've earned it. Take the treasure chest. He says, I don't even want a shoelace from you. I don't even want a shoelace from you. Because here's what you're going to say. You're going to say, you made me rich. And I want it to be very clear that it wasn't you that made me rich. So when you're following God, that's not about what you have and what you don't have. It's about the fact that this stuff doesn't matter. The thing that matters is pursuing him, seeking his kingdom. And there are going to be times in life, guys, where you're going to have to be okay like the Israelites going through Egypt. You might have to be okay saying, I'm okay with some gold that I have to carry because you know what? The Lord needs me to have this so that I can do this. And there's going to be times where the Apostle Paul said, there's times where I had tons and there's times where things were a little bit tight, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he supplies my needs more. He doesn't supply my need according to my need. He supplies my need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now keep reading here. It says, you've been listening to these guys that make their whole sermon about what you don't handle, what you don't taste, what you don't touch. He says, all these things refer to the things destined to perish with use. In other words, you are spending all your time thinking about stuff that's not even going to be here. Thinking about earthly things. In accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. Verse 23, he says, these are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement. And severe treatment of the body. I want you to hear this. Self-abasement. Self-made religion. Severe treatment of the body. Now when I read that. Take up, my, take up your cross and follow Jesus. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. And follow him. If you make the point denying yourself. Now you must deny yourself. You've got to. It's the only way to get there. But if you make that the point, that becomes its own religion. In the King James, it calls this will worship. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Do you know what you're trying to do? You're trying to put the flesh down by the flesh. You're trying to use your own flesh to punish your own flesh so that you can get your own flesh in line. You know what you end up doing? You end up just strengthening the flesh. What you need to do is to live by the Spirit. You ever noticed that you just can't break addiction to sin, to the ways of the world, just by saying, this time it's different. I won't do it. I'll try a little harder. Do you know that really doesn't work? I mean, I know some of you might have quit drinking, but cold turkey, and, it, and that worked and everything. But I'm talking about the, the hold of sin. Because none of us could break free of sin. None of us could break free of that addiction, that hold it had onto us, just by trying a little harder. What did Jesus say when he preached the kingdom? He said, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. He doesn't say repent and start getting your life together. He doesn't say repent and, and just fix it. Fix it, guys. Your life's a mess. He says, repent, believe the gospel. It's the gospel that sets us free. He says, all of this stuff that we do, trying to make ourselves look holy, it has the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion. I've told you this before, but some of you might not have heard it. When I was a kid, 
I just wanted to, I, I knew I was going to be following Jesus. And I, I, I knew that that might take me some not so happy places. And I want to be ready for anything. I just want to be ready for anything. And I said, Jesus, I'll die for you. I will be, I'll do anything. And then there was one thought in my mind. Jonathan, because, you know, it's a dangerous thing to give your kid, like, a book of martyrs. <laughs> and, you know, I'm reading these stories, you know, of all these people that suffered and would not, would not deny his name. And as a kid, I was like, ah, that may have to be me someday. So I would take pliers. I'd stick them on my finger, and I'd squeeze until I, I can bear this, I can bear this, I can bear this, because it's going to be a lot worse, and they're going to try to get me to deny Jesus, and, uh, and guys, I wasn't a weird kid, trust me, I did not enjoy the pain, some of you are worried about me, I didn't enjoy the pain, I wasn't a masochistic child, I, 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 I seriously didn't like it, but I was like, you got to be trained, got to toughen up, because someday, da, 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 da. They'll do a lot worse than this. They'll peel your fingernails back. No, I'm not going to do that. Uh, Do you know what I've realized? That if that ever happened, it wouldn't be my own training that kept me from denying Jesus. It would be my love for Jesus. It's not even just my love for Jesus. It's the fact, it's not just how tightly I'm holding on to him. It's how he's holding on to me. You parents know this. Somebody stuck a gun to your head and said, either you kill your child or I kill you. Is there anybody in the room that would kill your child? Why? Your love for them is so great. Doesn't matter what they do to you, you'd never do that. I've come to know it's not about how tough you make yourself. It's not about all this self-abasement that causes you to endure and to stay strong. It's whether your eyes are on him how you're clinging to him and how he's clinging to you. That's what will hold you in those times. It says, this self-made religion, self-abasement, severe treatment of the body, it's of no value. Did you get that? Zero value against fleshly indulgence. We've come to know that in order to follow Jesus, you have got to change what's important. He's what's important. He's what's important. You get wrapped up in your little world, and you begin to think all your stuff is what's important. He's the goal. He's the point. And there are times where you must deny yourself. But it's not the, it's not the point just to deny yourself and leave a vacuum. The point is, in order to have more of him, in order for him to increase, I must decrease. And so it's not just denying myself. It's denying myself to follow him. Because you look at what he talked about. He had those disciples that left their boats. He had a guy that, uh, you know, was saying, can I just stick around till my parents die so I can bury him and I can get my inheritance? And Jesus says, nah, you're not ready. He says, anybody that wants to follow me, you can't turn back halfway. The point wasn't, you know, look, guys, I just want to see what's lo- what life is like if you just leave all your family members and you leave your boats, and I'm going to leave you in the wilderness just, just lonely and, and, and without stuff. The point was, you guys got to follow me, and sometimes you got to give something up to follow me. But it's more than worth it. You remember last week we read about the people that sold all, everything to get that treasure? You remember the end of the story is they had the treasure? That was what was valuable. It was worth more than what they had was what he had. Life is not what we've been told it's about. It's about something else. And Jesus showed us what it looked like. And the kingdom of God is where this is a reality. The kingdom of God is where it's alive. It's active. It takes up everything. And it's the best. You'll only truly be satisfied when you're wrapped up in him. I want to read you something from the book of Acts as we get ready to wind it down here. On Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Acts verse by verse, and it's a wonderful thing. We just started last week. And it's tying along, it's tying along very nicely with what we've been talking about on Sunday. But you recall this is very familiar to us, this section of Scripture, which talks about 
what happened after they were filled with the Spirit and they were so caught up in, in everything that God was doing that they couldn't describe it, they couldn't explain it. But it says this in verse 40, 41 of Acts chapter 2. So then those who had received his word were baptized and that day they were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place with the apostles. And all those who believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Here are a group of people that sold a bunch of their stuff and gave it to people who needed it. And yet when they get together, it says they are glad. And they have a sincere heart. They're not having to fake it with each other. They're not having to pretend like they like it. It's real. These people are happy. These people are satisfied. And it goes on. And, and in chapter 4, we, we read about how they get filled again with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shakes the church up again, fills them again. And it says, once again, and the grace of God, great grace was upon them all. For not anyone considered anything was his own. But they began to share, and everybody was supplied. Now, do you think it's because the apostles taught long, hard courses about, guys, we need to, we need to stop thinking about ourselves. We need to, stop, we need to think more about other people. Do we, okay, we got we to gotta, we gotta talk about self-denial here. Let's talk about it more. Or do you think it was just they were so caught up in what God was doing? They were so caught up. They were so in awe of God. They were so focused on Him. They were so wrapped up in the kingdom of God. They were so full of the Spirit that the things that used to matter didn't matter anymore. These people don't seem like a group of people that are doing something because they were ordered to do it. They were happy about it. Did you ever notice that Jesus, as we've said before, the Bible says He was anointed with the oil of gladness above everyone else? I'll tell you, the only truly satisfied people in the world are the ones that really figure out this is what it's about. It's about him. It's about his kingdom. It's not about being wrapped up in ourselves. And thank God that when we get wrapped up in who he is, supernatural things start to happen. Do you ever figure out that there's not really a good word for what this was? You can't really call it communism. You can't really call it this. You can't really call it that. But you ever know when people try to do this in a worldly way, they all get poor and people go hungry and die? Look at the great communist experiment. Has it ever really worked? Even a country like China, the only reason they've got money now is because they're just basically communist in name. It's never really worked in the world. And it never really will. But there's something supernatural taking place here. This was not about a government taking something from you and saying, Okay, I'm going to redistribute. This is people freely giving out of their heart. And when they did, God supplied every need. And they all had more than enough. And even as they were growing, they had more than enough. You can't try to replicate this from your mind. You can't try to replicate this with a government. You can't try to replicate this with anything other than this is a work of the Spirit. When we talk about denying ourselves. When we talk about the kingdom of God just enveloping us and being everything to us, we've got to realize it's not about looking like you're doing the right thing. It's not about focusing on how much I can make myself hurt. That has no value. What has the value is so just, just whatever it takes, follow Jesus. Whatever you have to lay down. If there's something slowing you down, take it off. As Hebrews says, every sin and weight. So there's things that aren't even sin, but they're weighting you down. He says, every sin and weight so easily entangles us. Take it off and run the race. Fixing your eyes on Jesus the whole time. We're going to get less caught up in ourselves more and more as we fix our eyes on Jesus. Somebody said it well. There was a guy that I heard preach the other day. And you ever hear, I mean, I know most, a lot of you aren't, 
preaching all the time, but you know it's frustrating. Sometimes when you're, you, you preach all the time and you're preaching on something and somebody else, you hear somebody else and they're preaching the same thing and the same verses and that should make you happy because it's showing you that the same spirit is the same spirit here, that it is there, but instead you start to get protective and you start to say, oh, I, people aren't going to know. I, I started saying that first. What if they go listen to this guy? What if they go online and they hear this guy talking? They're going to think I ripped it off. Well, you, one of the greatest things for me that I ever realized was nothing we ever say is original. And if it is, we're probably speaking heresy. <laughs> if you're the first one to say it, after 2,000 years, you might be wrong. You might think you're being, wow, I got this new thing. Now, I know God's doing new things, of course, but I'm talking about when it comes to the revelation of the Word of God. So it's, it's a good thing with someone else. But this guy said it wonderfully. He was reading from the same scripture, and he said, he said it wasn't that they were so um, trying so hard to deny themselves and take care of others. It was that they were so aware of God. They were so aware, and I like that word, aware. They were so aware of Jesus. They were so aware of God. They were so caught up in him that that was the thing that mattered the most. These disciples were happy to leave their boats because they were following him because he offered them so much better. And when he said, when everyone else left, and Jesus says, you guys want to leave too? They said, where else would we go? Where else would we go? You alone hold the words of eternal life. You alone hold those words of life. No one else has it. Where else would we go? Is there anything we've tasted now? We got a taste. Maybe we could have left the first couple days, but now we've tasted. We've seen who you are. We would never be satisfied fishing anymore. We would never be satisfied. Even if we had the big fishing franchise across the Galilee, Galilee Brothers Fishings and Sons or whatever, we would never be satisfied. And sometimes you get brought into this kingdom and you realize that this is, man, this is a new way to live. This is everything. And then you try to make it look so you don't seem so weird to your friends. You try to make it look like, well, we're kind of the same as you. We're just a little bit different. We just got different stuff. I mean, we want the same things as you. We just, we just know a better way to get there. Be okay with the fact that when you were brought into the kingdom of God, the world looked upside down because that's the way they felt in the, new early, in the early church. Everything was upside down. And when they got hauled in front of the courts, they were accused of turning the world upside down. Don't be afraid to be so weird to everybody else. I mean, don't be a freak. Don't be, don't be a freak for the sake of being a freak. But, you know, I mean, be sociable, love people. Learn the language, but at the same time, you're different, and that's good. Embrace the fact that we're not chasing the same things anymore. I love my vegetarian and vegan brothers and sisters. I don't fully understand them, but I love them. <laughs> I've tried. It is easier for me to fast 100% than to just fast meat and eat vegetables. I don't know. Daniel did it. And so if the Lord told me to do that, uh, my wife and I, and I don't say this because the Lord, Jesus said, don't fast for the sake of people, but just for the sake of context. When we fasted, we've gone 100%, we've drank water. And it, I think that was easier than just saying, I'll, I'll just eat vegetables. So I love vegetables, but I love my meat, right? And my wife does too. I was blessed to marry a, a girl that, that loves a good steak. And so we get along. But I, I really do, I, I love my brothers and sisters, that I, and I've got friends that that's you know, they're the vegetarian, the vegan, or whatever. Some are for health issues, and some are, I, some are like it's morality issue. And it's like, you know, they're, I'm not, I, I don't agree with them, but I understand it. If that's their view, that's fine. You know, they don't want to hurt any animals or whatever. <laughs> what I don't get, what I don't get are the folks that are like, meat is murder. It's slaughter, it's homicide, but not homicide, it's animal side or whatever. Meat is murder, but then 
you know, they're ranting about at the restaurant how horrible it is. I, can't, I don't know how you could eat that carcass of, a, of an animal. I don't know how you could eat that flesh, that animal flesh that's been cooked. How disgusting is that? Hey, excuse me, could I get a veggie burger, please? You know, can you make my vegetables look as much like that carcass that he has on his plate that I'm saying is so disgusting, that I think is so horrible? Can you make mine look exactly like that? And could you make it taste like that too, please? Because as much as I hate the slaughter of animals, I want it to look and taste exactly like the slaughter of animals. (laughs) So give me a veggie burger and a tofu steak. And I just go, what's the point, guys? Come on now. If you're going to go vegetarian, just go vegetarian. Why, why, are you, why are you playing this game here with us? Where you, you, I mean, you hate it, and yet you want it to look. And sometimes I feel that's the way we are. We've been, we've been born again. We've, we've experienced a new kingdom. And yet we're trying to shape it to look like it's just not that different from you guys. Look, look it's kingdom life. <laughs> but, but we have church services, but it's like a party without the swearing. And, you know, and... and <laughs> And I want the promotion just as much as you do. We all want the same things here, don't we? I've just found a better way to get there. I, I just don't need to sleep around and cheat in order to get there. But, but really, we want the same things. No, we don't. We're after Jesus. We've discovered he's good. Nothing else will satisfy us. Why am I pretending that anything else does? He's the only thing worth chasing. His kingdom is the only thing worth living for. And you guys, you're part of his body, so you're valuable to me too. And I get less caught up in me. And it's not about denying myself, but denying myself is definitely a part of the process. As I realize my life, my world, my little tribe is not near as important as the kingdom. And when I start to care about the kingdom, all those things take care of themselves. Does that mean you don't take care of your family? Absolutely not. Your family, God called you, has anointed you. If you're a father, he's anointed you and called you as a father. That is your first church right there. That's important. That's your ministry. But at the same time, do you ever notice the more we withdraw from everybody, the more we withdraw from the things of God and the more we get focused on our stuff that's going on, the more the stuff seems to go wrong. You got all these little fires you got to put out all the time. Why? Because you're focused on the wrong thing. You're wrapped up in your own little world. You become a little busybody and you're not fixing anything. Step back and look up. And when you look at him, The stuff that used to matter doesn't matter. And when you look at him, the things that you thought were valuable aren't as valuable. And there are things that you didn't think were valuable that become infinitely valuable. And when you look up, you recognize, as David did, he says, I look up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from him, the God, the maker of heaven and earth. You begin to think that what in the world am I trying to do this myself? You must take up your cross. You must deny yourself and follow him. Because when you lose your life, you'll find it. And if you spend your time trying to save your life, you'll lose everything. You spend your life, and this is what we're trying to do. If we'll just admit it, many times we are trying to save it. We're trying to save everything. We're trying to fix everything. We're trying to save our own lives, and you can't do it. In the process of attempting to save everything, you'll lose everything. It's better to lose it and in the process, find it. We're talking about this stuff because I really want you to sell out. Sell out is usually a bad thing, right? I mean, when I grew up, we were into a lot of, like, when I was younger, it was not cool if, you, if your favorite band was known by more than, like, five people. It wasn't that cool anymore. You know, we took this great pride in, in being purveyors and consumers of indie music, and we thought somehow that made us cool. And uh, I've since either gotten uncool or grown up or both, I don't know. But, uh, you know, once a band got big or something, we were always like, oh, they're just selling out. Sell out, sell out, sell out. And sell out was the worst thing you could ever say. I found if I've sold out to Jesus, 
I look back on my life and I realize there are things I thought I needed to be. There are things about my character, my personality, my dreams, my visions. And I look back and they've changed dramatically. And I realize why. Because those things that used to matter don't matter to me anymore. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't have to do with his kingdom, it's not that big of a deal to me. This is not about a life of misery. This is the only way you'll really be satisfied. This is not about a life of pain, although pain is part of the life. This is, a, this is about a life of, of really finding the healer, of truly finding the one that's been worth chasing this whole time. And the fact that he's not running from you is amazing. The fact that when we draw near to him, he draws near to us is humbling and beautiful. What we thought life was all about is not what it's all about. Can we allow Jesus to repaint the picture of what life is meant to look like? Can we allow Jesus to show us the owner's manual that we came with and say, this is what you were created for? Can we, can we let Jesus lead us to places we haven't been yet? Can we let Jesus lead us away from things we were comfortable with can we let Jesus show us the kingdom? Not the kingdom of the world, but the kingdom of God. And we can be citizens because we've already been transferred into that kingdom by his blood. We've got royalty flowing through our veins. And in that kingdom, there's no sick, there's no poor, there's nobody that falls behind. In that kingdom, the king of heaven has stooped down not so he could dwell in the mud with us for the rest of eternity, but so that he could raise you out of it. Thank God. Let's follow him, amen? Stand up with me. Let's imagine something here. Sometimes when we get challenged by something at church, we get all serious and our faces get all frowny because <laughs> we think that's what God likes. I want you to ask yourself, how would you feel if Jesus were here and he picked you? It's one of his entourage. He says, follow me. Yeah, it meant you had to quit your job or meant you had to, you know, Give up those hockey tickets you had. But he said, follow me. Anybody here that would be depressed about that? Anybody here that would be like, oh, why me? <laughs> Jesus stood here and said, I'm picking 12. 12 people. Any volunteers? We'd all be like, ooh. ooh, ooh. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that sounds good, right? We wouldn't be like, but I've got plans. <laughs> What about bowling? We'd be thrilled. I don't care. We were going to go out to eat. Who cares? Jesus. Well, at least are we stopping like driving through somewhere? No, let's just go. <laughs> Guys, when we hear this from the word of God that he's invited us to follow him, who cares what we leave behind? Let's just go. It's worth it. Somehow we think it'd be more exciting if he was physically here. You know what's exciting? He gave you his spirit. He is going with you everywhere you go. He is leading and guiding you. You can have a more intimate relationship. I don't know if you realize this, but you are meant through, through this new covenant, you're meant to have a closer relationship with Jesus than the disciples had with him while he was on the earth. You're meant to be closer to him now than they were to him while they could touch his hands and touch his feet. You're meant to be closer now. So get excited about that because that's the life we've been called to. Amen. Thank God, Lord. We, we are so honored that you would become one of us, take on skin, flesh, bone, blood, and and become a man, live amongst us, and show us what God looked like and show us what we were meant to look like in you. Lord, we're honored that you would call us your sons, your daughters, that you'd call us into your kingdom. It's our desire to see your kingdom 
in every area of life, to see it overtake, to see it, to see it totally overwhelm everything else. We are just discontent with the way the life used to be. We're discontent with what the world's told us was important. We've tasted, we've seen. You're way better than they, than what they ever told us you were. They were. You're way better than we ever could have imagined. You are good. You are good and your mercy endures forever. You are good and there is none beside you. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your presence, there is life. In your presence, there's healing. In your presence, nothing else matters. Lord, we give ourselves to you. We give ourselves away. We know that there is none that compare to you. There is none that would even come close to you. For you are so good that the things of this world seem sad compared to you. We draw near. We come closer. In Jesus' name. Show us how, what it means to follow. Lord, if there's anything that needs to get tossed to the side, you tell us and we'll toss it. For you said there's no one who gave up all these things to follow me, that will not receive much more in this age and in the age to come eternal life. We thank you that you provide our every need. We no longer live for ourselves. We live for you. In Jesus' name.